Forlock Forbach Reads. Produced by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library. Welcome to Warlock Vorabach Reads, a Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library podcast. Nevermore will you feel safe after hearing the floor-thumping verse of our next poet. Last time we read from the gothic queen herself, but this time our poet holds illimitable dominion over all, Edgar Allan Poe. Born on January 19, 1809 in Boston, Massachusetts, Poe was the son of two actors. Tired of being ridiculed, his father abandoned his career and family when Poe was just one. His mother died of consumption a year after. John Allen, a successful merchant in Richmond, Virginia, took him in, but their relationship would grow rocky when Edgar ran up some gambling debts while attending the University of Virginia. In April 1827, Poe moved to Boston and wrote for a newspaper before enlisting himself to the United States Army. Fifty copies of his first poetry book were printed but received no attention from the literary world. Although attaining the rank of Sergeant Major for Artillery, he purposefully ended his enlistment early to take up an appointment at the Military Academy at West Point. During the transition, he lived with his widowed aunt and first cousin Virginia and published a second book of poetry. After matriculating as a cadet, Poe would purposefully get himself court-martialed in 1831. A third book of poetry came out partially funded by fellow cadets of the academy. Poe then began to focus his writing on short stories instead of poetry, and in 1833, his short story, Message Found in a Bottle, was awarded a prize by the Baltimore Saturday Visitor. It was around this time that Poe obtained a marriage license to marry Virginia, his first cousin, when she was only 13. During the next few years, Poe would write a flurry of poems, stories, book reviews, and critiques for various newspapers and magazines. His novel, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, was published in 1838 and widely reviewed. In 1842, Virginia showed her first symptoms of consumption while singing and playing the piano. Poe began to drink heavily under the stress. On January 29, 1845, his poem, The Raven, became an overnight sensation. Two years later, Virginia would die. Poe's behavior continued to become erratic, and he was often under the influence of alcohol. In 1849, he was found on the streets of Baltimore, delirious, and in need of immediate help. He could not explain how he came to this condition, and why he was wearing somebody else's clothes. He died several days later, 
The cause, still a mystery, as all his medical records and his death certificate have been lost. Before I read The Conqueror Worm, The Raven, and The Bells, let me provide some historical context for the three years those poems were published, 1843, 1845, and 1849. In 1843, Edgar Allan Poe also publishes The Telltale Heart, The Black Cat, and begins serializing The Gold Bug. Victoria, British Columbia, is founded by the Hudson's Bay Company. The Indian Slavery Act of 1843 removes legal support for slavery within territories of the East India Company. The first major wagon train starts out on what would become the Oregon Trail. Margaret Fuller's The Great Lawsuit, Man vs. Men, Woman vs. Women, appears in the Dial magazine in the U.S. Joseph Smith receives a revelation recommending polygamy. Ada Lovelace translates and expands upon Babbage's analytical engine, creating the first computer program. The city of Shanghai opens for trade with foreigners for the first time. Charles Dickens publishes A Christmas Carol on December 19th, selling all copies by Christmas Eve. The world's first Christmas cards are sent. In 1845, Congress establishes a uniform date for federal elections. Congress and President John Tyler approved the annexation of Texas, but it wouldn't become a state until December. Florida becomes the 27th state. Congress overrides the presidential veto for the first time. James K. Polk becomes the 11th President of the United States. Stephen Perry patents the rubber band. An earthquake destroys parts of Mexico City. The Great Fire of Pittsburgh decimates much of the city. Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, is published by the Boston Anti-Slavery Society. HMS Erebus and HMS Terror go missing while searching for the Northwest Passage. The journal Scientific American begins publication. The Great Famine begins in Ireland. Richard Wagner's opera Tannhauser debuts. President Polk claims manifest destiny is a justifiable excuse for aggressive American expansion. Anesthesia is used for childbirth for the first time. In 1849, the Hungarian Revolution begins as Hungarians try to escape from Austrian Habsburg rule. Elizabeth Blackwell is awarded her M.D., becoming the United States' first woman doctor. The Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo is signed, ending the Mexican-American War. James K. Polk becomes the first president to have their photograph taken. 
The United States Department of Interior is established, including the Census Office. Zachary Taylor becomes the twelfth United States president. The first Kennedy arrives in America. A steamboat catches fire and almost burns down all of St. Louis. Harriet Tubman escapes from slavery. Pharmaceutical company Pfizer is founded in New York. And now to read the great supernatural master, Edgar Allan Poe. The Conqueror Worm. Lo, tis a gala night within the lonesome latter years, in angel throng, bewinged, bedight in veils, and drowned in tears, sit in a theater to see a play of hopes and fears, while the orchestra breathes fitfully the music of the spheres, mimes in the form of God on high, mutter and mumble low, and hither and thither fly. Mere puppets they who come and go at bidding of vast formless things that shift the scenery to and fro, flapping from out their condor wings invisible woe. That motley drama, oh, be sure it shall not be forgot, with its phantom chased forevermore by a crowd that sees it not. Through a circle that ever returneth in to the self same spot, and much of madness, and more of sin, and horror the soul of the plot. But see, amid the mimic rout, a crawling shape intrude, a blood red thing that writhes from out the scenic solitude. It writhes, it writhes, with mortal pangs the mimes become its food, and seraphs sob at vermin fangs in human gore imbued. Out, out are the lights, out all, and over each quivering form the curtain, a funeral pall, comes down with the rush of a storm, while the angels, all pallid and wan, uprising, Unveiling, affirm that the play is the tragedy man, and its hero, the conqueror worm. And now for the Raven. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. 
so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, this it is, and nothing more." Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore, merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but, with mien of lord or lady, perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Platonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door. Bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door with such a name as Nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on that placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing further than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled, at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken. Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, nevermore. But the raven, still beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. 
Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to Lincoln, fancy until fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight glowing o'er, she shall press <sighs> nevermore. Then, methought, there grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee, respite, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead, tell me, tell me I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of pardon, bird or fiend, I shrieked upstartin. Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven. Nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the semen of a demon's that is dreaming. And the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. The bells. Hear the sledges with the bells, silver bells. What a world of merriment their melody foretells. How they tinkle, tinkle, tinkle in the icy air of night, while the stars that oversprinkle all the heavens seems to twinkle with a crystalline delight. Keep in time, 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 in a sort of runic rhyme, to the tintinabulation that so musically wells from the bells, bells, 
bells, bells, bells, bells, bells, from the jingling and the tinkling of the bells. Hear the mellow wedding bells, golden bells, what a world of happiness their harmony foretells. Through the balmy air of night, how they ring out their delight from the molten golden notes, and all in tune, what a liquid ditty floats to the turtle dove that listens while she gloats on the moon. Oh, from out the sounding cells, what a gush of euphony voluminously wells! How it swells, how it dwells on the future. How it tells of the rapture that impels to the swinging and the ringing of the bells, bells, bells. Of the bells, 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 bells. To the rhyming and the chiming of the bells. Hear the loud alarm bells, brazen bells. What a tale of terror now their turbulency tells. In the startled ear of night, how they scream out their affright. Too much horrified to speak, they can only shriek, shriek, out of tune in a clamorous appealing to the mercy of the fire. In a mad expostulation with the deaf and frantic fire. Leaping higher, 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 with a desperate desire and a resolute endeavor, now, now to sit or never, by the side of the pale-faced moon. Oh, the bells, 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 what a tale their terror tells of despair. How they clang and clash and roar. What a horror they outpour in the bosom of the palpitating air. Yet the ear it fully knows by the twanging and the clanging how the danger ebbs and flows. Yes, the ear distinctly tells in the jangling and the wrangling how the danger sinks and swells by the sinking or the swelling in the anger of the bells, of the bells. Of the bells, 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 in the clamor and the clangor of the bells. Hear the tolling of the bells, iron bells. What a world of solemn thought their monoda compels. In the silence of the night, how we shiver with affright at the melancholy meaning of the tone. For every sound that floats from the rust within their throats is a groan. And the people, ah, the people, that they dwell up in the steeple all alone. And who, tolling, 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 in that muffled monotone, feel a glory in so rolling on the human heart a stone. They are neither man nor woman. They are neither brute nor human, they are ghouls, and their king it is who tolls. And he rose, 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 a paean from the bells. And his merry bosom swells with the paean of the bells. And he dances and he yells, keeping time, 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 in a sort of runic rhyme to the paean of the bells. 
of the bells. Keep in time, 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 in a sort of runic rhyme, to the throbbing of the bells, of the bells, 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 to the sobbing of the bells. Keep in time, 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 as he knells, 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 in a happy runic rhyme, to the rolling of the bells, of the bells, 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 to the tolling of the bells, of the bells, 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 to the moaning and the groaning of the bells. Thank you very much to listening to Warlock Vorabach Reads, a Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library podcast. It is an understatement to say how important Edgar Allan Poe contributed to the supernatural literary genre, but what fascinating tidbits of history, too. So next time, our poet painted art, created textiles, ran a printing press, dabbled in socialist politics, wrote the first fantasy novels, and translated The Odyssey and Beowulf, both of which we read on this podcast before. So, happy Halloween! Till next time! <laughs> Thanks for listening to Vorbach Vorbach Reads. Subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss future episodes. And... Discover more of our podcasts at cincinnatilibrary.org slash podcasts.